0: Jeff Tucker, my brother. How are you doing?
1: Fine. How's my other
0: mother? Happy birthday, by the way. Thank you. This is this is, this is Talk Liberty at two a.m. We're being very quiet, not to wake <laughs> the babies. <laughs> Talk Liberty <laughs> so at like, two a.m. So like, so like Tom Snyder. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, sorry. My favorite website just started.
0: You're There's sitting down. I like that. You're
1: gonna to need to sit down for this one.
0: Okay. So you have your earbuds in.
1: I like that. Yeah. Well, it's it's not as like echoey this you way. Know, so weird. our
0: uh, our weekly uh, talk liberty is not really weekly lately, is it?
1: Yeah, I know. It's it's kind of tragic in a way. I don't know what happened. I mean, like you went out of town and then you got arrested, and yeah, you know, it was it was all very bad. I think you're
0: thinking of other libertarians. You went out of town (laughs) Others got arrested Speaking of that Did you hear the Stefan Molyneux um, Adam Kokesh It's on Stefan Molyneux's um, Podcast feed He has like an hour and 50 minute Long discussion with Adam Kokesh It's really 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 good Um,
1: Oh about tactics and strategy (coughs)
0: Uh, um, What was it about? Well, it's about Adam's arrest and uh, activism and civil disobedience and um, terminology, whether we should be voluntarious, agorists, libertarians, anarchists, whatever, you know, those Mm -hmm. kind of issues.
1: That's good. Do they agree or is this
0: oh yeah they just very amicable um they have a couple of different nuances, but uh no, it was great the the first hour or so i heard
1: well, but Kokesh was brilliant I mean people underestimate him
0: no, he was great um and so was uh, so was molyneux so it was a it was a good talk um but it was about being arrested and adam's experience adam admitted he was kind of naive to not even expect his apartment to be raided, yeah. And all this kind of stuff. And so then he got the drug charges and everything. I mean, you know, if you're going to do civil di- disobedience with a shotgun in D.C., uh, maybe you want to get rid of the drugs from your apartment first. <laughs> so I think yeah. he, he was naive, and he admitted it, um, that he didn't expect it to be that severe.
1: So where do we stand on things now? With him? I didn't
0: hear the whole story, but I think he was in jail for four months, but he finally caved into the coercion of the state and made a plea deal. And admit yeah. you know some kind of guilt, and it's not all over yet but um it's it's a horrible story, but um, he learned something from it, and hopefully he'll he'll be fine but anyway um today's december nineteenth two thousand thirteen, and you are a new you're a birthday boy today, so that's great, and you're yeah. giving thousands of well wishes on um facebook I see. yeah
1: three um i feel um birthday Another way um this yeah <laughs> Slightly disoriented here. Uh, we unleashed a Indiegogo campaign only a day and a half ago. Um, then, you know, we had that crazy video of me diving in a lake and swimming, paddling backwards like an idiot. I don't know how to paddle a boat. I'm in a canoe and I'm like being filmed. I don't know if you noticed that I can't paddle. I like a terrible technique. You seem to do fine. Oh, people are making fun of me, actually. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, yeah you know, swinging on swings and everything the idea of the whole video was just to kind of contrast politics and government you know as being sort of dreary compared with human liberty which is you know unlimited and that's why I see um, liberty that me is just this unlimited space for continued development of the whole project that, that you and I kind of already brainstormed what five or six years ago that mm-hmm liberty isn't just something you believe, it's something something you would actually do uh, because it works. It works well in your life, and it works well for the social order in general. I think you discovered this first with um, um, intellectual property, and I should be clear on this. I mean, because I, I had more or less kind of come around to your view on IAP um, for a long time. But, you know, it's, it's one thing to sort of believe something, it's something else to actually do it. Um, so when I set out to uh, to actually implement the idea of you know the IP, an IP free world was a good thing, um, you know I saw the difference that it made to make information free, uh, uh, free in the sense of um, not bound up by artificial restraints, and it was an incredible thing uh, to see how everything just kind of took off, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Uh, liberty has always been intellectually satisfying for me, but it was something else to see it actually like take off in the real world. You know, just a little bit of liberty makes a huge amount of difference. You know, um, so I would say that your IP studies sort of began for me a big, uh, a big sh- intellectual shift that m- made me realize that liberty is about more than just books. You know, it's about life itself, um, and that's that's why. Um, this, this project began, because I think this is a neglected point um, in, in, in history, and this, I think it's neglected now. There's no space out there that really allows for the full two-way, three-way, billion-way development of the idea of liberty in every direction, not just in the IP, but also in, in money and in education and personal finance, uh, relationships and family life, uh, travel, immigration, entrepreneurship, uh, business development, uh, law. Uh, dealing with cops, right? Uh, you know, uh, we, need, we need a, a, a real, real community out there. And I'm also convinced basically from my own um, experience in digital worlds that there is, these days, there's no scalability to the problem of digital communities. In other words, they can be built out potentially infinitely, you know, uh, ten years ago that wasn't true, but now we have the technology to make it happen. I mean, crashing websites are, are soon going to be a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, 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 it's something I wish to existed in the past, on the other hand, it's, you know, it's like one of those things, that the, like the time has come. Uh, we waited, we waited until we had all the tools and we're throwing everything at it. Um, so um,
0: for people that are listening later or whatever, we're talking about Liberty.me, your new venture. Right. And the Indiegogo campaign you just launched. So LibertyMe will launch sometime later in twenty, early twenty fourteen, right?
1: Yeah, it, it's funny. The end of the video has me going, "When do we launch? When do we launch?" Yeah. And because, yeah, because yeah, the day keeps moving. And, and part of the problem is that it's not really a problem, but you know, the the purpose isn't just to create a website with forums, or just a website that's a publishing platform, or a website that's that's a community, or a chat protocol or a news delivery service or any of The point is we're throwing all these things and trying to integrate them into one giant uh, space. So um, all technologies are open to us and, and every day we're finding new things. We find new things that somebody else has crowdsourced through the creation of, you know, and, you know, we're, we, and we, we, we have some, some ridiculous ideals, uh, First of all, to replicate the experience of the best conference ever been at, but extend it 24/7, 365. That's one thing. The second thing is we we didn't want um, pull down menus, uh, search searches, um, or uh, you know complex tree structures. So we want we want the navigation of the site to be intuitive, like what. Whatever you want to do, we want the site to kind of respond to what you you want to do. You know, so that if you go to some place, you know, you're naturally led to another place. Because it's supposed to be a place where you're supposed to live. Now, that is quite a structural challenge. You know, to imagine a site this big, this vast, covering the whole of life that requires no search to navigate. No, no, it's
0: it's, it's amazing. Um, It's nutty. Yeah, it's nutty. You you know what you just reminded me of? um, uh, The... You know, you and I have bitcoins, and do you ever find yourself checking the bitcoin price at like four in the morning or something? I do. It's like it's, it's always dynamic. It's like you know that it's not the market's not going to go to sleep for eight hours and yeah. it's going to be updated the next day. It's like always okay. a real time sort of uh, exchange ratio, and so I yeah. find myself checking it whenever I'm on the computer and. Um,
1: it's so silly. I mean, like, what are we expecting to find out? Because we don't really actually care that much about the price. I and mean, we know that if it falls, it's going to go up. It goes right. up we, too much, too much, too too fast. We know it's going to fall again. So there's never any surprise, but we still want to stay up to date. It's not like we're buying and selling these as day traders or something like that, but we still care because it's but new I'm information. Just,
0: yeah, but I'm thinking that Liberty.me, if it's, you know, with the automation and the, uh, uh, the you know, the internet protocols you're going to have built in, People can use it any time. It's yeah, gonna be it's yeah, gonna yeah. be always live. Is my point. I mean, 365, right. seven days, you know, 24 hours a day, whatever. It's always gonna be there. So, it doesn't have to. You don't have to say. You know, the the human operators have to be on call in California to 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, you know. No pacific yeah. time or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That,
1: that's that's it. I mean, we we do this to some extent with Facebook anyway. Um and it's pretty interesting to me how Facebook has has managed to conduct its business. I mean, the consumer is not really in charge of Facebook. I mean, basically you're being jerked around a lot. You know, and that's okay. I like I like Facebook. I like what I think, I think it's done. I think it's a miracle technology the way it's it's brought us to this point. But I don't I just don't think it's enough, you know. Um there's not enough archiving archival uh engagement things are too you know kind of transient they they show up and they go away um, there's a tendency on, on facebook to devolve into the sort of the meme based culture you know and um, so where's the where's the thick engagement you know where's the uh, uh, the sort of burrowing down into important ideas you know that that's that's very difficult to uh, achieve on facebook it's basically a a kind of pop chat system in which the advertisers are running everything. You know, they can jerk you around at any time. Um, part of the reason for Liberty, Mike, is we thought about it. We thought about this a lot. You know, I mean, there's going to have a lot of free content, but but basically they're going to be a membership site. And the, the reason for that is that we want the members to actually be in charge. I mean, we, want, we want a direct producer-consumer relationship. We want to be held uh, accountable, actually. And we want the membership to be the driving energy behind the whole thing. And the only way to do that, really, and, and, and keep the spammers away and uh, and and make sure that everybody's there serious about the topic not serious in the sense of dreadful but serious in the sense of like really cares right so and and the way to do that is to ask for the equivalent of a you know McDonald's value meal you know a uh, uh, monetary sense you know every, every month and that's not too much to ask I don't think
0: no I think it's uh, I mean you and I've talked about this a lot um, one of the reasons you and I and others we meet go to these conferences and meetings, is to engage with other people and to get ideas from them. That's right. So there's sort of a community and a curation function. Right. And you just don't get – I mean, look, the internet is not short of information. There is a billion things out there, a trillion things out there. Right. Um, But what you want is you want – guide. I mean, look, I know people now, they don't use RSS anymore. They don't use um, even blogs anymore. You say, right. how do you get your information? They say, oh, I'll go to Facebook, or I, I get recommendations from my friends. They just follow what their their friends say. So there's sort of a trusted aspect to the community, and the libertarian community has been growing rapidly in the last uh, – or the liberty community in a sense right? in the right. last five, ten years. So right. there is a growing need for – a way for us to get together and form I guess what Doug Casey calls files yeah. in a way, right? P-H-Y-L-E-S, um, so yeah, I, I'm very, uh, yeah, I'm that's very right.
1: optimistic and about it. Y- yeah, and it, I th- but I th- you, know, just, you make a very interesting point because I mean, it's very difficult sometimes to discern web trends, but I know in my own use of the web, I am pretty much stuck on, yeah, I've got a lot of work to do. Um, if I'm researching a news story, I'll go to Google News to find out the, find out the latest thing or whatever. Um, but I, 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 I access my information on a need, need be basis, you know, um, maybe I'll read the New York Times, or the Wall Street Journal, uh, online, but, but am I checking, you know, all 175, 200 blogs that I like every day? Absolutely not. I mean, nobody has time for that. So, but it's sad because there's a lot of really good writings out there. that are just getting lost. I mean, I thought about that at this point when I, I guess I have like, I established a new Google alert for Liberty Me, uh. Um, and I just, I found that, that, um, uh, he had an article up there promoting Liberty Me. So I was, and then I felt something bad. I thought, my God, it's probably been two or three months since I've looked at Robert Murphy's blog. Uh, but, and I would say in general, people who own blogs are, are reporting less and less traffic, you know, at some level. So um, this is this is not good. Um, and it makes me sad too. And libertarians, liberty-minded people think, well, I have a theory I want to offer. I've you know, a couple articles. I want to write. Nobody will run them. I should just establish my own blog. So I end up paying several thousand dollars to establish, you know, a new website, get good designs made. You know, they're all excited. They get out there and they start posting. Like nobody's paying any attention whatsoever. And so the good thoughts are being lost, and they're being lost because they're not being sort of allocated in the right way, mm-hmm. and they're not being distributed as part of an of a interest-based community. So under this turnkey uh, system of publishing, that's part, just one aspect of Liberty Me. I mean, you join, and you're consella.liberty.me you're and you, you know, you're, you're begging for your thoughts, and they're immediately put in front of the most active, most interesting uh, liberty-minded people in the world, you know, who uh, can learn from them and critique them and comment on them. Suddenly, what you have to say matters for the first time. Yeah, and and, and get ideas from people
0: that have have thought like you about these difficult issues. How do you – what do you do in your life? You know, How do you integrate liberty into your life? How can it matter to you? How can you not just wait around for the government to uh, agree with you or persuade them? I mean I'm not saying you shouldn't be activist (sighs) or whatever. There's different approaches. Right. But what can you do to take practical steps for liberty now other than – um, putting a sign up in your yard or or, or going to a, a rally and saying vote for Ron Paul or something like that you know um so there's going to be lots of opportunity for people to brainstorm i mean we're in the infancy of the liberty movement really it's 50 yeah, and 60 the years emphases, old
1: right and the infancy of the digital age too right so Both there's them. lots to learn still and
0: everyone is learning rapidly and uh, this is going to be a great i think it's going to be a great platform for it
1: well you know I do could just back up one quick second on this on this point because I have not really you and I talk about this stuff all the time, but we haven't really talked about it publicly but um yeah I mean it's funny I went for a very long time without uh, it ever dawning on me that there's a serious problem with uh sort of anarchist ideology or libertarian ideology whatever you want to call it um, namely that it's it's imp- implementation has de- fend- depended fundamentally on, uh, on bringing about changes in an institution that we don't control. Uh, yeah. Namely namely the state. So we don't want the state to do this. We don't want the state to do that. Maybe we want the state to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Mostly we don't want it to do this and that. And the other thing. Um, the problem is the state doesn't care what we think. Uh, nobody's polling us. Um, we have no mechanisms of, of control. Uh, whatsoever around us, uh, we read our books, and the problem is, the more we learn, the more we we get uh, desirous of liberty. You know, we start to burn with this passion, but we have no way of actually like implementing that passion in any way. You know, there's like. Uh, because our whole agenda is contingent upon making changes in an institution uh, that uh, that doesn't care anything about what we think. And this is why I think we've had such a huge attrition rate over the last 40 years mm. in our ranks. People get interested in the topic. They think, yeah, the, the world should be free. and yeah, you know, then they don't want them to know what to do, and and uh, then people turn on their families or they turn on their friends, and they you know try to find enemies, and they're trying to figure out like why why isn't this beautiful vision being achieved? They they haven't had any mechanisms to to make it possible, but it only takes just a little bit of creativity and uh, passion and uh, invention. Uh, to discover that liberty can actually, like, we can't actually achieve freedom just by our own choices. I mean, that's just not possible because the government's huge and imposing and everything else. But there's a lot of ways we can be freer, yep, 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 yep. and make the world a better place. And we all kind of work together. We can actually uh, give birth to a new sort of superstructure of liberty, especially now that we can li- live in this cloud, that um, is a free society that can, you know, provide this model of. Of human engagement, well, apart uh, um, from the state.
0: in the Molyneux uh, free domain radio podcast, I was listening to this morning on my yeah. walk, um, where he talks with Adam Kukesh, Molyneux had a really good point I'd never thought about in this particular way, and it had to do with being realistic about the state. And what he said was basically, we have to recognize that you're not going to persuade the government to do you know A, B, and C. That's not the way to liberty. Um, Now, he didn't point this part out, but a lot of libertarians, if you mention this, they will think you're being cynical or pessimistic. And they think well, then you're saying, well, we we should give up hope. But Molyneux's point was suppose you thought that um, saying a chant every day would be a way to avoid getting lung cancer from smoking cigarettes. Well, then you would actually probably keep smoking cigarettes, Right.  … Because you thought you had the solution, and if you think politics or activism in that sense is the way to tame the state, then the state actually might keep growing because you're going to keep supporting it in a certain sense, right or it's, you're you're not fighting the real problem right. um, so being realistic doesn't mean having to give up or being cynical, I think it means focusing on what you can change. Um, we should do it, right. maybe all of it, or maybe different people should specialize in different parts of it, but um Anyway, uh, you, you, you want to? we haven't had a, uh, a podcast in about a month because you've been traveling. You want to talk a little bit about yeah, just, you, you yeah, just Australia? Quick, yeah, you know, I've been
1: know, here just, and I've been there. I've been giving speeches and things like that. It's just really great. Um, and it looks like it's going to get even more intense in January. It's really fun to see my schedule just filling up. I just got a really flattering invitation from Young Americans for Liberty yesterday. I didn't even think I mentioned it to you. No. You um, the Young Americans for Liberty has these, the equivalent of SFL, um, regional conferences, you know, but they tend to vent in the spring and summer or in the spring, I guess. So I got invited to 12 (laughs) events, you know, for the Young Works for Liberty, which is more of a politically oriented, um, group, but, Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really flattered by that. I'm still trying to figure out what I can do, what I can't do. Um, but, um, so the greatest invitation I ever received actually was to go to Australia to give four lectures, um, at the Mises seminar there now, it was very interesting to be able to, to have four full lectures, and you have to choose them carefully because you know we all have a lot of big thoughts and a lot of topics, and I had to choose which four. So my first my first lecture was probably my least successful, I would say, but but it was the one that I worked the hardest on. Is on the theory of the state. I wanted to um, take apart what state is. And how it works a little bit and eliminate some of this, what I consider libertarian naive, naivete about the government. And, you know, went through some of, you know, Nock and Hoppe and Lothbard and, and um, you know, the whole hi- history of the 20th century views towards the state. And uh in the second lecture, I covered um, uh, liberty as a, a kind of do it yourself project, you know, and, and, The things that we were just talking about, you know, um, the ways in which innovation is actually breaking down the structures of control. In the third lecture, I got to, Stefan, for the very first time, um, give a formal lecture on the theory of non-scarce goods within the Austrian tradition. So that was really great for me. Uh, I've wanted to give that lecture for like four years, right, ever since you and I first knocked out that article. So I just stole your ideas and attributed them to me, and it was really very satisfying.
0: I like that. There was uh, something some of my friends and I were talking about this morning about um, um, some NSA or CIA guy saying that uh, what's his name? Um, you know the the, the NSA uh, the, the NSA hacker that he stole uh, Snowden. You know they stole everything from them. I'm like, well, you still have it. <laughs> he didn't really. He copy. What you mean is he copied it. He shouldn't have done that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's really good why don't we continue to use that I mean even I use that word still it's, it's pretty interesting how we it doesn't make it actually any sense it's just okay. the wrong word if you actually. mean
0: it as a compliment I think it's okay You
1: know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh and then I just, just said my final lecture was on so I did last class, my mm-hmm. final lecture was <clears> on <throat> Future of Liberty, get the typical last lecture, right? But, but I really went in great detail about um, my personal relationship with Mary Rothbard. I'd never spoken on that subject, ever. I decided to speak on it like 10 minutes before the lecture began. And um, I did really well on it. I was, but I was about 35 minutes into it, and suddenly I choked up, and I had to actually stop and had to mm-hmm. gather myself together and, and move on.
0: And this was uh, Brisbane, you said, right?
1: Brisbane. And, yeah, and it
0: Brisbane. was a nice crowd, and the Australians are great. And,
1: uh, and that's amazing. They're all amazing people. And, you know, it's funny. I, I, the liberty movement in, in Australia is not huge. And I, I have a theory as to why. Um, it's because every Australian is just like so incredibly happy with life. <laughs> uh, they're just not disgruntled quite enough. So, uh, and I can see why living in Australia. I mean, it's just like cool things everywhere. Everything's beautiful, all the people are sweet. It's a, a lovely culture. I mean, it's it's like you get the best part of sort of English um, manners and, and sweetness and fun without this stuffy aristocratic uh, heritage and sort of crufty uh, hierarchical snobbery that you get in that sort of English culture. It's, so it,
0: it sounded great um, from what you said. Um, and you and I, just to change subject, you and I were talking this morning about something totally different about uh, your love of the Keurig coffee maker. Do you want to...
1: Yeah, well, you know, I I just noticed at the store that uh, that uh, the price of the carrot cup has now fallen fallen below one dollar. Did you notice that?
0: No, I look at it only in Bitcoin prices. I-
1: <laughs> <laughs> you were so edgy. You're just out there, with the bleeding edge. Yeah, that is just so fantastic. So you have to be very rich to do what you do, but um, the but yeah. So the p- patents expired, and it was funny because I you know you how, how do markets work? You know, I, I was watching this patent because I was annoyed by the patent because damn things are so expensive. Um, then the patent expired, I kind of expected like you know the price to just plummet, right? Like like mm-hmm. like a like a, like a pro IP person would say like, oh, you have to have patents. To sustain profitability, or else you know everything falls apart. Well, the patent expired, and prices didn't change much. I and mean, that was like a year ago, and but gradually over the last twelve months, now we're seeing push, push, push. And for the first time this week at the store, I saw that they've fallen. I mean, like my local grocery store is now offering curry cup uh, kickups for um, less than even Amazon's biggest discount.
0: I mean, it's it's just fantastic. The market is trying to produce bounty and plentifulness right, and overcome scarcity at the same time that people are coming up with artificial ways to try to stop it. I mean, I'm sure that Curig and these other companies are going to come up with improvements and new patents and use trademark. Now, um, they will do whatever they can.
1: Of okay. course. But why do they do that i mean it's it's very interesting to me because um, i don 't care how strict your enforcement of your intellectual property rights are it's not going to cause you to make money. you know it can kind of keep the the competition at bay a little bit, but it 's not going to cause you to profit I, I you know think people don't want to buy your stuff they 're not going to buy your stuff if they do want to buy your stuff they 're going to buy your stuff. You
0: know this guy uh, on uh, Facebook who i 've been gradually uh, following, his name is AB Dada, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, uh-huh. He had an interesting post and it was something I've kind of noticed before but he basically says, no, no, the whole reason that companies, these large companies cross-license with each other um, I mean the simple explanation, the one I've given is like, you know, Apple and Samsung and these smartphone companies or Keurig or whatever they sue each other for patent infringement, they accumulate lots of patents they sue each other and the theory is that They don't really care what the outcome is. They will come up with a cross-license at the end, and if one company pays the other a little bit more, they can pass the cost on to the consumers, and they're protected from competition because little guys can't compete. It creates walled barriers and cartels and oligopolies, basically. But his idea is that it's primarily driven by taxes that – sorry, that's my poodles – that the um, – that Apple and these guys—they want to get a a license done, so they can they can locate it in some European jurisdiction that has right. low tax rates. You know, Monaco, Liechtenstein, one of these tax havens or whatever. And um, so it's all for tax avoidance. Let's not call it evasion. Tax avoidance sure. reasons, and I sure. think there is there is something to that.
1: Yeah, Let's I think apologize. that's probably let me just, right.
0: Let me, let me shut these dogs up. Louis, echo quiet by the way it's louis von mises my poodle barking at, at yard workers okay sorry about that um so you, you were you and i were talking this morning um when i was walking i don't know what you were doing but um sometimes we're, we're meeting each other going to the gym remotely but um you had an intriguing idea about about copying right and about uh, about a flaw in the kind of pro ip position about the fact that copying doesn't spread instantaneously across the yeah. that's kind so of an interesting idea. Yeah,
1: you know, and this whole thing, the whole thing came about there in my mind because um, you're crazy privileged. So, Hold so, a uh, so um, oh, there we go. So the whole thing came about in my mind because uh, I, can't, I developed an obsession with irons recently. Um, like, I can't seem to find the right iron. Uh, so I keep buying irons, whatever. I, you share this obsession, Stefan?
0: What do you mean irons?
1: Yeah, you would have to ask that. It's the thing that it heats oh, up. Oh, you mean that it th- a flat <laughs> for clothes? I'm thinking little, like yeah.
0: iron pills, uh, golf mm-hmm. irons. I don't know what you no, mean. No, no, it's the thing.
1: It's flat, you plug it in, and it causes your, your for example, if right, your right, shirt's right. wrinkly like yours is, then you just run the, run the uh, iron over it, and it flattens it right out, you know. But... uh uh, but I, know anyway, I just had to get this right iron, and I, so I keep buying irons. Actually, I've got like a collection now. And um, um, but but uh, but I found one actually. I'm really happy with the most recent one I, I bought. And was, but but okay. I went to fill up. You know how yeah, difficult it is to fill up an iron. I don't know if you've ever yeah, tried Yeah, the yeah, prime, There's a little hole a, and you got to yeah. get a special yeah, yeah.
0: funnel or something.
1: Right. To, and then you, or, you and try you to you stick s- it under the sink. Distilled
0: water. You're supposed to use distilled water or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: But then you try to stick it, which, which is ridiculous. I mean, to my mind, I mean we can argue about that. But anyway, you try to put it under the sink and it's like it doesn't fit right or something. So you have to get like some special pour or something. Like, well, why should be such, such a problem? So there's a recent iron that I, that I got is amazing because it's got a, first of all, it's got a big hole for filling up the water. So you open up the top. I should probably stop with this description because I could go on all day. Anyway, the point is you can easily fill it up by sticking it in saying, turn it on, and it fills up. And it's got great design. So my question in my mind was like, if this design is so good, why doesn't everybody use it?
0: Right.
1: There is no way there's a patent on this design. I mean, there's some things you can't patent, and where you put the hole and how big it is on an iron is not a patentable or, thing. Or, or tools for,
0: or something like that. Right.
1: right. So why, does, why doesn't everybody use this obvious superior system? And so... I was asking myself that question. Like, one of the things that the advocates of IP say is that uh, you've got to have a patent because whatever the newest idea is, whatever's superior, will be immediately stolen by everybody else. Um, and I just didn't actually believe this. I mean, because you know, one of the big problems is you don't actually know what is a better idea. Uh, you know, manufacturers are never quite sure uh, if somebody's come out with a new thing. There's a natural tendency is to go, "Well, that doesn't." You know, how do we know for sure that's good? Um, should we adopt it or should we not? Well, what is the standard you're going to use? You, it's not always just the objective conditions. Um, what you have to look at is your profitability. And and people aren't always... So, for example, the other iron companies that, that make these irons uh, seem to be doing rather well. They're looking at the bottom line. It's not like there's any strong incentive to change and adopt the newest thing, right? right? Because they're still selling the irons. The other thing is that... Um, Companies aren't always sure what causes consumers to buy their product or somebody else. And you can't actually be sure. Maybe it's the color, maybe it's the brand, maybe it is the the hole that you know the, you're using to fill up the water, but maybe not. You know, maybe it's the light weightness, maybe it's the price, maybe it's something else. Um, but you just don't change a product willy nilly. That's already profitable, even if there's a clearly superior thing out there. Um, so I think you know what this accounts for is like. Like, like if the opponents of IP were correct, basically we would have constant uniformity uh, towards the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything would more or less be uh, uh, the most amazing thing ever, and everything not so amazing would be shut down because it would be such relentless, crazy copying uh but I think in the real world there's a lot of static and a lot of confusion. you don't know what necessarily what is better. Um, people have to follow the, the market price signals. Um, you're not sure why the consumers are preferring your product to other, other people's products you're not sure how mar- the market is the market expanding or are you all picking over the same uh, uh, sector of consumers? There's a lot of a lot of static and the, the point is that you have to have a market that just sort of runs all the time you know that that is got a multiplicity of offerings in terms of price and, and structure, and just let let the thing work itself out without these kind of uh, crazy central planning ideas, where we you know slice and dice and allocate innovations so that they can become profitable or whatever. Which is essentially the way IPA I think is uh, strives to work.
0: Well, there's I think there's a similar point I've seen made by some Austrians um, about how it's actually good. … that there is dispersed knowledge and that people are different in the economy. I mean, yeah. If everyone was sort of a uniform homunculus right, that uh, had the exact same preferences and values, there would be no benefit to the Hayekian dispersion of knowledge. There would be no benefit to the division of labor. Right. Everyone would just be an automaton doing the exact same things. Interesting. But, you know, the fact that people are different is actually good um, um, and… That you wouldn't have a specialization in division of labor um, otherwise. There's something actually in patent law, which you reminded me of. The theory of patent law is that if you don't have patents, people – it's not that people won't innovate. It's that they will keep their ideas secret under what's called trade secret law or just keeping it right. secret. And so we have to incentivize people to make their ideas public. And we do that by giving them a, a seventeen-year, roughly, monopoly on their inventions. So we mm-hmm. say to them, "If you will disclose to the public your ideas, then we will give you a monopoly. We'll make you, you know, we'll protect you from competition for a, for a little while. So it's a bar, it's what's called the patent bargain. Um, and the problem with the theory is that.
1: This would apply to like pharmaceuticals, for example.
0: Everything. Well, the pharmaceutical case is complicated even more because the FDA requires disclosure as part of this approval process. Mm-hmm. So you basically make people disclose things that they otherwise could keep secret, mm-hmm. and then they're penalized by having to, you know, expose lose that their first their mover
1: advantage. Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: And so the government says, well, then we're going to give you a patent monopoly on it. And plus the FDA monopoly as well as well,
1: compensation for having given away your ideas for free yeah. Yeah, and this is a major argument for patents right that I, well, I don't know that you encounter them so much anymore, but in the old days i think I think you were showing me something from earlier part of the 20th century where people were saying like the major advantage of patents is not the industrial monopoly it creates, but the fact that it forces the dispersal of information
0: right and but the point is <laughs> from from it's a practical a funny point yeah, well. So if you imagine just your typical innovation, you don't have to be a specialist to just think about any new, let's say a new mousetrap or a new a new vacuum cleaner, the Dyson. Okay, mm-hmm. This guy is going to come up with a new vacuum cleaner design and he's going to say it has more suction, it gets clogged less often, whatever, because it's got a spherical container or this new filterless design, whatever. He's going to trumpet that. He's going to have to... Divulge that as part of his effort to sell it, and even if he doesn't, it can be easily reverse-engineered. So the point is that the, the, the disclosure that the patent forces him to or encourages him to engage in would have been done anyway in probably 99 98% of the cases. Um, in almost every case, you are encouraging someone to disclose information that they would have had to disclose anyway as the price of selling it and making it public. right? So the bargain is a bad bargain if you view it as a public bargain. The government is – or the public are, are giving this guy a monopoly in exchange for the divulgence of information that he would have had to divulge anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually not sure how we got on this topic, but,
1: it well, re- but what you said reminded is, me of it because it's a similar Well, the point is that, that it's divulged once you market the product.
0: Yes it is it has to uh, be can keep
1: it yeah, it has to be, and this is a very interesting aspect of capitalism that I wish I could explain it better i've tried in many lectures to sort of lay this out, but essentially the point is this um, people associate uh capitalism with like private property fine uh profits fine, but it's all this kind of uh, you know these these are possessive ideas like this is mine, this is yours, so it creates this sense of um, of um, so, so maybe selfishness. You know, it's it's all it's all about beating back people away from, from getting what you want and getting keeping keep people away from it. But this is a very narrow way to construe markets because markets are really an information distri- distribution mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. And and if you want to sell anything, you basically have to give away your ideas. And There's just nothing you can do about it. You have to give them away to the consumers first of all. Well, you uh, you don't,
0: you don't have to talk to many times. The the very basic, you know, the the most elemental nature of capitalism. And the free market is that if you succeed in satisfying consumer desires, right, by giving them a product or a service that they like, then you will make a profit, and that's going to send a signal in the market. It's going to yes. alert. It's going to alert people. Hey, yeah. I'm doing something people like. You that's need right. to do this too. To exactly. With me, and that's, that's going exactly. to erode your profit margin. So profits are, in a sense, unnatural. And you don't want to sound like a socialist or an anti-capitalist by saying that. But profits, as Mises uh, points out, right, and other Austrians and other free market economists, profits are an unnatural, temporary thing. You can't rely on it forever unless you have an no. artificial government. No. Prop. Yeah,
1: you're right. So it's not just that you give away all your information. I mean, because, like, you know, if I want to become a cupcake entrepreneur, I'm going to be giving away. <laughs> all information about how my cupcakes look, what they taste, what color frosting they have, when to sell, when my store hours should be, all these things. But it's even more than that. It's like like if my cupcake shop becomes enormously profitable, then I'm not just giving away information about how to make a cupcake and how to sell them. I'm telling everybody that if you copy my idea, you might be just as successful as I am. That's some very, very valuable information. And you know, entrepreneurs
0: know know this. They always know that there's competitors waiting around the corner to nip at their heels. They know this. And they're always trying to improve and be happy with their customers and please them and keep them coming in and please their distributors or or their vendors or whatever. Um, they're always on the ball trying to keep the ball rolling. It's a dynamic process. It never ends. You can never rest on your laurels. You never get to a point where you're finally successful and you can just stop now.
1: And yeah, and people know that. And the, and, and the patents don't help that. I mean, if you can get to get a patent on your cupcake, maybe it's what you can't. But if you could, uh, maybe you do it. But you, you'd be insane to to rely on your intellectual property as is the, is the key to your success. I mean, people just don't... Just, I mean... I mean, any more than a band that relies on its on its copyrights is going to somehow, you know, be uh, successful. You just can't. You can't do that. Actually, it doesn't work that way.
0: Yeah. Um, so let, let's talk quickly about. Um, so we we were going to talk about. I think we should save this for our next talk, and maybe we can do it in a couple of days. But oh, deconstructing gonna...
1: some of the Chicago. Uh, pro- I mean, the the point is that I think you know you and I have been very intrigued over the last. Three or four years, right? Maybe longer. Um, at the to trying to take the temperature uh, out there uh, around people's attitudes towards IP, and we both had the sense that you know um, the Kinsella sort of perspective is now what, largely dominant in the liberty space. I mean, people no longer accept patents and copyrights as somehow being part, and people understand the importance of sharing. Uh, the non scarce socialism. This this actually is pervasive. But at the same time, you um, uh, this is I'm speaking mainly here of the anarcho-capitalist community. But you like to read this other literature, which is basically you know sort of Chicago-ish, um, and there you see some skepticism towards patents, but ult- and IP, but ultimately a defense of them on sort of for various grounds, right? Yes, and, and I, so and I, I think yeah.
0: what we what you and I should do is. Um uh, in, in our next uh, episode, we should—I uh, w- would like to discuss in detail um, one of the talks by Richard Posner, who's a yeah. eminent, so-called yeah, conservative libertarian right? judge. He is brilliant, right. mm-hmm. and uh, and maybe Richard Epstein and some other guys like that um, in upcoming uh, talks. Um,
1: they give the best possible case for IP, in your view.
0: Well. <laughs> I think they do, and that's almost damned by faint praise because their case is not very good, and they actually don't seem to do a good job of even restating the current patent and copyright law and the official arguments
1: for it. So I think we can go into detail about that, but… I'd like to. I mean uh, one of the things that I think we have always done. I mean when you when you're in an intellectual transition you you tend to read all sides, right? And so I went through this myself. Um and I couldn't really find any good arguments for IP. Um, at some point, you know, you, they just all began to fall and fall and fall and fall. Um so you, this is all part of your sort of ongoing hunt for a decent argument for IP.
0: I mean, you can see a good argument, not a good argument, but you could understand the arguments for the drug war, or even taxes, or the state, right? You can understand the public failure arguments, right, or the public goods arguments. Mm -hmm. Uh, At least we state them in
1: a way that's more or less compelling.
0: Yeah, but the IP arguments are primarily utilitarian, and so people will just assert without IP there will be no innovation. But if you say, Mm -hmm. well, really, does anyone really believe there will be no innovation without IP? And then they'll back off. They'll say, well, no, I don't really think that. But we'll have more innovation if with just a little bit of IP protection. And so you say, well, where are your studies? And then they back off of that because all the studies are the other way. So there really are no good arguments that I have ever seen for IP except for inertia or conservatism like, well, this is the way we've done it for 200 years or whatever. So, um, And you and I see but- – uh, we were talking this morning about the uh, this, tra- this Trans-Pacific Partnership Treaty, which the Obama administration is trying to foist on the rest of the world um and regulations on internet freedom by like say Italy in the name of copyright right. uh, it's becoming an increasing attempt to foist a police state on us in the name of these fake rights um right. so i think we so we need this to work hard protection.
1: To this is this is just very powerful large corporations leaning on the state to basically uh do their work for them right i mean that's that's all it's about
0: I think so um I think so, so
1: um by the way, aren't some of these arguments contradictory i mean uh, on one hand you can't you can't say that well uh, we sh, sh-, sh- ish- okay, so in absence of i p there is no incentive to innovate, but with i p you get a little more incentive to innovate, and we want as much innovation as possible, but on the other hand, they say, well without i p um, then Nobody would ever profit from their innovations because everybody would be out there innovating so fast and furiously. There wouldn't be enough time that would pass between the introduction of the innovation and its copying and improvement to allow companies to really improve. So it seems like these arguments are like, maybe they're not contradictory, but they're in intention. Yeah, uh, it's it's
0: essentially you're in favor of innovation, which is a sort of a changing dynamist kind of thing, Right. And yet, your argument uh, for IP law is conservative. Like you want to keep things slow it down. The way they used, to. they explicitly say this. I mean, um, they'll say that we want to slow down competition, or we want to stop what they call. This is on the Independent Institute's website by one of their William Sugar, one of their alleged free market economists. He says we want, we don't want unbridled competition. <laughs> I mean, what does that mean? You want to bridle competition? You want to slow it down.
1: Well, competition's already bridled by 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 consumers. I mean that they're the they're the people who determine what succeeds and what doesn't succeed in a market.
0: Well, Jeff, that's a free market attitude you're expressing there. <laughs>
1: uh-huh.
0: You actually you actually now, want to trust the, the consumers and the and the in the free market economy to regulate right. itself. Did
1: you did you see um did you did you see the Devil Wars Prada? Yes. Loved it.
0: Great okay. show. You're right. So
1: Yeah, so this is—it's an important IP uh, angle to this whole thing because, like, what creates this fashion culture, you know, Uh, and the runway culture, you know, and that and that sense of—you remember the sense of secretiveness and this constant, you know, uh, wanting to stay on the cutting edge and, you know, like high stakes. Like once the design is revealed, you know, it's all over. Uh, which is true, right? So in the fashion world, just by review, there is no IP except trademark, which is basically irrelevant. That's like you can't produce a fake Nike, really, or you can, but you know you're not supposed to. But there's but, but copyright and patents don't pertain, so all designs are just out in the open for for everybody to copy freely, and and they do, then they are. So it creates this like wildly intense environment of um, of. Uh, You know, super competitive. Continual uh, innovation. They're always trying to come up with the next design. yeah. Yeah, this season can't be anything like last season. You know, so people are constantly trying to anticipate what the trends are. Remember in the discussions about what they're going to run in the magazine, it's like, no, we we've done that in the past. We did that. We did that eighteen months ago. We did that two years ago. There's no way we're going to do that. We need new. We need fresh. We need different. You know, new colors. You know, it's just like you know, it just never stops. And so it's a great, it's a great look. And I, I don't know if that's really the way the world works. In fashion uh, well, but it was some, a really some, pretty picture some of
0: these fashion designers that are favoring a new ip right for fashion mm. designs um i think they're i think they're crazy they're gonna if they succeed which i hope and think they may not but you never know um i think they would shoot themselves in the foot it wouldn't oh. be good for them it's actually good for them it's good for everyone even them that they have to compete and they have the opportunity to come up with fresh new designs that it's not what Walmart or K Bar has knocked off in the last eighteen months, right? They they right. like the opportunity to say, "Oh, this is the new thing you have to come buy for eighteen hundred bucks, the new top or whatever, the new shirt or purse."
1: Right, um, uh, uh, you know the the whole one of the things that's really really cool about the show too is and in, in but you can actually watch this. Do you ever watch? You ever watch uh, run, runway catwalk uh, shows on television? I won't admit to it here, but. Yeah. No. No, I've never so, watched it. So the whole culture of the catwalk comes out of this world without IP, you know. So uh none of the designs are revealed ahead of time. You know, the models maybe know, you know, the, the executives, the the tailors and everybody, but there's tremendous secretiveness. And then there's all this hoopla with the loud music and you know, and then the cameras are going off wildly and you know, immediately shooting pictures of, of things and other designers are trying to reproduce them to race them race into market, but it's always too late and so on, you know. But, it's pretty it's pretty spectacular.
0: Yeah, but of course it's the same in the mar- the thing we were talking about earlier, the market, it's the same in the market. If you have a new product that you want to sell, you're going to trumpet its new features. That's how you you know, persuade people to buy from you. My, my new mousetrap, my new dog food, my new whatever has a new feature that's better than the others, and here's what it is. You have to explain to people what it is. You, you, it, you cannot imagine a new clothing design or a fashion design that is kept secret. It makes no sense. The whole point right. is to trumpet it and to make it public and to make it fashionable. And it's the same thing with any market innovation. Right. You want to let people know about it. Um, So the idea that you have to give them a a monopoly to incentivize people to divulge things that they have to divulge naturally as part of the process is completely uh, absurd and unfounded.
1: Well, the the information itself should be socialistically owned. And the uh, uh, <laughs> you're, so, <laughs> you're so you're so uh, subversive and devious No, but I think it's I think it's I think it's true. I mean, it's uh, you know, I I posted one time on Facebook. I said, you know, I'm a communist on on uh, all non scarce goods. You know. Well, this I mean,
0: is what our enemies accuse us of. So you've just given them ammunition. So I think it's I think it's,
1: I think it's true. <laughs> look, <laughs> but if it requires let, if 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 the privatization of something wouldn't exist in absence of legislation and police and courts and the apparatus of compulsion and, and control, then um, it shouldn't be private. It, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, It's, like, it's, it's weird. It's like the, the government violates private property um, where it should exist, but then it, it uh, creates private property where it shouldn't exist. I mean, no. Like it does exactly the opposite of yep. what the government supposed to do. Yeah, and that's a good go- point. Yeah. The whole and purpose go- of
0: private property is to... Put uh, property borders up around things that are naturally scarce so that we can have a private – a free market economy that can overcome scarcity. And the government imposes artificial scarcity on ideas and information and knowledge and competition Right? Um, when it's not naturally scarce in the first place, and they restrict the market when they do that.
1: Well, you know, people should be a little more suspicious of the government, actually. That's a general uh, principle. Um, so when you have gigantic global agencies coming out with huge documents, you know, uh, with big treaties, and there's massive bureaucracies, and and, the, and their big slogan is, we protect private property. <laughs> I mean, the government does not protect private property. Government takes private property. That's that's what they do. We're from the government.
0: We're here to help you,
1: right? I mean, this is something that's very suspicious about the, about this whole uh, idea. Um, you know that, uh, and 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 the propaganda. You know about IP is just shocking. I mean, it's just it's really funny. I was just at, a, at the movies last night uh, watching this. God, this amazing new movie uh, called Frozen, which you absolutely must see. But um, so it said. Uh, and, and so they're trying to get better about the funny ads you know at the beginning they're trying to get you to not steal their movies you know so this one said um, this is rude and had a guy like talking on his cell phone you know and and said uh, this is obnoxious had a guy like texting on his cell phone creating this big light in the theater and it's annoying everybody and then it said this is illegal and the guy was like <laughs> <laughs> so I just I had the biggest laugh I mean can you imagine somebody sitting in the movie theater going Yeah, actually, I think I've done that before. Just to show a little short movie clip to my friends, like, here's where I am. Like, what is wrong with that? Okay, it might be annoying to people, but it's not stealing anything to hold up your little box.
0: And imagine you're actually paying a pretty premium, hefty, you know, per ticket price to go have someone give you information, and then they subject you to this hectoring nanny (laughs) state. Nonsense. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it is. It's just offensive. It's like they can't make the ads without just they just rub us all the wrong way. It's like And what's funny is, so they're about to show and this movie's very fresh, it just came out. Um and they're saying, Don't do this, you know. Well, look, I mean my first thought was, uh, I bet I could stream this movie from my computer at eighteen different sites. Right. Like, right now. Yeah. They can't stop it.
0: No, they can't. They can't. That's why they're freaking out. I mean, they, th- that's what they think they're... I don't even know why they believe this. They're pretty sophisticated people, right? They, 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 they accumulate hundreds of millions of dollars of funding for these movies. They make a billion you know, dollars if they're successful. And yet, they actually don't understand what their profit
1: comes from. But, you know what? I think it's a... Very good point. And here's my theory: these trade organizations don't actually make movies. Yeah, they are just the top of the pyramid. They're representative of sort trade organizations. They don't look at the profit signals. They're privileged little little groups. Uh, they're, they're out there doing their thing, but but actually, the movie theater owners understand. that so They want to get people in the movies. They got to make great popcorn. They have a really cool environment. The seats have to be fabulous. Uh, they've got to have really great sound systems. Um, you know, they've got to create an entertaining environment with, like, you know, air hockey or whatever. You know, I mean, they're trying to get people there. Look at how much innovation has gone on in the world of movies. I mean, it's pretty funny to me. Back in the 1950s, I guess when we first saw 3D movies, but now they're, you know, like a lot of movies come out both in 2D and 3D. Right. And what is the purpose of this? Well, the purpose of it is to get people to the mm-hmm. theater. You know, mm-hmm. that's the idea. Now it's true; you can buy it. nowadays you you can get three D. Have you seen these thing? Three uh, D uh, large screen televisions that are, that, that have three D with glasses and everything. Yep, yep, yep. It's it's <laughs> it's a uh,
0: it's a little geeky. You, you can be geeky if you're in your if you're in a movie theater. You're sitting in a dark theater, but at your house, you feel no. a little bit weird. You know, to sit there I, with uh, I, glasses on.
1: Yeah, maybe that. Maybe i i actually. I should go check and see what the season's offerings. I remember last year I saw them for the first time. These three D home theaters. where well, there you go. They're trying to bust up the theater monopoly of you know the one 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 of the few reasons people even go to the theaters and watch the three D. Yeah. I don't know. They like, also, do we-
0: They also offer different different aspect ratios, like you know the IMAX, yeah. and then you uh, have right. the like the Lord of the uh, the Hobbit, and the Hobbit two. I believe have been released in forty eight fps frames per second. Oh, really? And so you can see it 48 FPS, you can see it IMAX version, you can see it <coughs> 3D, non 3D. There's like, you know, seven or eight or 10 but, different permutations.
1: But you remember back in the, in the 1940s, um, we saw for the first time, you know, when, when the movie industry was becoming ever more developed, there were a lot of theaters that were built, um, in sort of luxury theaters. They were built by the Um, companies that were making the movies themselves. Yeah. And they were owned by them. And like they would have stars, you know, Mm -hmm. fake stars uh, Mm as ceilings. They would have really luxury seating like an old-fashioned opera house, whatever like that. They're really going all out to integrate the product (laughs) offering and the delivery system. And so what happened? The Supreme Court came along and said, This is violation of antitrust. You cannot both own a movie theater, and make a movie. Yeah, this That's is
0: a, a Supreme it's Court. This is like a
1: 1946, 1947, 1948 decision.
0: It's, it's a you perfect know? example of how... So people say, how would you make profit in an IP-free world? And we say, well, here's one or two or three or four ways you could do it. But some of them involve creative endeavors, maybe... You know, companies cooperating with each other, maybe a kind of quasi cartel thing. Right. So the government basically outlaws that with antitrust law, right? Uh, The Sherman Antitrust Act, the uh, the Clayton Antitrust Act, these types of laws. And then they say, well,
1: or just arbitrary decisions, like, oh no, that's no good. Yeah, it's it's a violation
0: of the antitrust or whatever, and so or 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 freedom competition or it's, it's unfair trade, they'll call it. Yeah. Um, so any of the natural mechanisms people would come up with to prosper in the free market, right. absent IP, the government outlaws. And then the government says, "Well, you know, you guys can't make a profit, so we have to give you a monopoly now." <laughs> so it's, it's ridiculous. So we have to give you a copyright. How can how can you expect a, a movie chain to make a profit if we don't give them a copyright and put people in jail
1: for uploading a copy
0: of oh, Wolverine? Yeah.
1: That's right. That no one
0: wants to see because it was taken from a a cell phone in the movie theater, you know?
1: Amazing. So, yeah. So, you know, so you get these nice uh, market-based cooperative arrangements. I'm sorry. I was about to repeat exactly what you just said. So I will stop right there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think you draw attention to an amazing irony. Smashing smashing non-monopolies as monopolies and then creating monopolies that don't need to be there. Well, you know, the, FDA,
0: the FDA is the opposite, right? The, the, the government um, basically cripples pharmaceutical companies by taxes and regulations, the and minimum wage and pro union right. laws, um, and the FDA process itself. And then these companies come screaming, How can we make a profit when you're hampering us? And they say, Well, we'll give you a patent. Right. So then, then the argument for patents is that, Well, how can you expect these companies to survive without patents? <laughs> Um, we're taxing them so much and we're, we're regulating them with the FDA, you can't expect them <gasps> to survive without a patent. So oh, we have by the way, too.
1: I, somebody confronted me in Australia about this, and I just generated like the, probably what's the most obvious argument you've ever heard. Uh, but for some reason, I didn't think of it until that minute. But they said, look, the costs of developing these drugs are so, are so high that you can't possibly recoup all those costs unless they have a patent that extends over a period of years, mm-hmm. so whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I said, and maybe, maybe this is covered somewhere, but I, I said, you know, one of the reasons the costs of developing drugs are so high is precisely the regulatory approval process. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what percentage of the cost, but, you know, it's not just that you... Um, you can't just develop a drug and sell like, I mean, you develop the drug and then you have to you know, release it and start the patent process, which lasts, what? The testing period is, what, 5, 10, 15 yeah. years? Mm, I mean, that's yeah. a long time to have to sustain a business or a product without a bouncing bounce back revenue club. And in I mean, the meantime, you, you, re- you reveal to everyone your secrets. And, and not yeah. only.
0: And by the way, there's an intersection of patent and, and the FDA process because the patent term is normally 20 years from the date that you file your patent application, and it takes two or okay. three years to get it issued, so it's about 18, 17, 16 years. The FDA process, there's a special exception in the patent statute that says if you are delayed by a regulatory delay, like the FDA, like let's say the FDA delays you by by four years. Mm. Then you can extend that patent term by another four years. Oh, I didn't know that. So they cooperate together uh, in a bizarre uh, arcane um, and, I think, evil um, evil way. But no, you're exactly right. And not only, if by the way, if anyone's interested in this, they should look at chapter 9 of and Levine's Baldwin, uh, yeah, Against yeah. Intellectual Monopoly. They explode this entire empirical myth for Pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Um. It's Based just history, it's just simply too. not true. Right. That most of the drugs we know about um, um, wouldn't be developed without this patent monopoly. Right. It's just empirically not true. In fact, nine out of like ten of the most famous drugs you can even imagine uh, in the last say hundred years um, were not even protected by patents. Um. But anyway, so
1: that's a good uh, resource for you know. Industry. Here's here's a, a very interesting thing. Let's say we had a system in which, uh, so I'm, I want to develop a, a web, web space like liberty.me. But in order to do it, I had to have approval from the government. And then they had to look through my designs and make sure that they were actually you know, consistent with what I was, what I was claiming. Um, and uh, you know, I had to disclose to the whole world every bit of software I was using. I had to go through a public approval process. Everybody had to test it. And this testing period lasted five or ten years, um, at the end of which, uh, you know, I could claim, look, Obviously, it, developing this website cost me four hundred million dollars. Whatever, mm-hmm. because this whole time I haven't paid employees mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. You know, sustaining things, whatever, having to you know pay all the filing fees, and, you know, um, suits and counter suits. At the end of which, I'm like, so given that there is no way mm-hmm. I can make this website uh, profitable mm-hmm. unless you give me the unless compl- mm-hmm. the government grants mm-hmm. me the complete monopoly on liberty itself. Mm-hmm. Um, or
0: government subsidies or whatever there'd be right. all kinds of things people
1: would start lobbying for
0: in such a case Yeah we
1: could recreate the, the the disaster we have in pharmaceuticals in any single industry couldn't we
0: What what would happen I think is that you would have some companies would rise to the fore and they would have the, they would have the entrenched sort of position to afford these exorbitant costs for all these processes and so you would have much slower innovation and it would be done by spinoffs or subsidiaries or departments of larger companies, right you'd have walled gardens um, you know um, basically oligopolies and cartels, which is what we have to some degree right now. The free market to its credit fights against that, and with technology, I think it's allowing smaller players to sometimes upset the apple cart right uh, whereas in the you know Twenty, thirty, forty, fifty 40, 50 years ago, it would be harder for an, uh, an upstart to come in and upset the established walled garden that looks like the free market because it's called the free market, you know, but it's really not um, right. completely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely amazing. Anyway. We'll, we'll look forward to uh, taking apart these uh, crazy Chicago uh, style theorists. Yeah, yeah, let's so, talk about that next, next po- time. Podcast. Uh, it'll be really great. Yeah, I'd be very interested if you could kind of like come up with you know, the top five or so. I know you hate a uh, list because you always say that sounds arbitrary. How do you know there's just five? <laughs> it's not
0: scientific. Yeah.
1: But, uh, but I have actually discovered, Stefan, that it turns out there are really only five of everything. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I, I think I you're just wrong. About to that. Right. I mean, like my article, my article, where I said, you know, how to think like a state. And I had five principles? And you said your main criticism was like, well, how do you know there's five? Yeah. You know, but but I've realized now that I, I do know there's there's just five.
0: I, I will go with the empirical side, the human the human side of Jeff. Um anyway, it's it's been fun. So let's let's talk next time. In a few days we'll we'll talk about uh some other stuff in more detail, but have a good okay. birthday in the meantime. Oh, thank
1: you so much, and thanks for, um, for letting me go on about, about this new project. I mean, um, I'm pretty amazed. Um, maybe we should just give a quick shout-out to the Foundation for Economic Education because, I mean, they, they, they moved on this Liberty Me idea really quickly. You know, they want, they want their students to have a, a space to continue their learning, continue their doing. And they see that we're, we're creating that. And so they were all over it and, and put in a good solid 10, 10K right on the very first hour that campaign went live.
0: Yeah, so we'll, let's quickly say so today is the 19th, and you started your campaign yesterday. <laughs>
1: Or well, the day before, yeah, late in the day, late the day before. Uh, and you've already
0: you're already over one third of your goal. And uh, yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's a, I think as last I checked, was like forty six, forty seven something like yeah, that. I'm not sure so by the too. time
0: people hear this, it'll be much higher. Um, so yeah. it's it's if you go to liberty.me, it will take you right away. It'll to just redirect, Indy yeah, go, just go redirect
1: straight to the Indiegogo, and, and up with the market for making things like crowdfunding, you know, possible. I mean, this is. An amazing thing for a, for a fresh company like this to be able to get, you know, sort of capitalized and, and get pre-subscriptions at this level. And it's, it makes business actually happen. So good for Indiegogo, Kickstarter. I mean, these are the kind of innovations I'm, I'm, I'm all about.
0: Yeah, and so kudos to uh, Fee and um, yeah. your, and your other donors. Uh, it's going great. So um,
1: yeah, and thank you for all your support. Stefan. it's always a pleasure to visit with you. You too. Okay, we'll, we'll talk you. next week. Uh, bye bye. Bye bye.